Third Albert and Kilda Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his fortnightly appearance on the program, or at least what is nominally a fortnightly appearance to the program. He's a lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. It is Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest on this edition of the program, as he does roughly every two weeks. Kind of every two weeks, what Eric Longenhagen does here is to analyze all prospects of particular note this week. The Martin Luther King Day holiday and long weekend is significant for a number of reasons, uh, perhaps the least of which is the resumption of live baseball in Arizona. However, the resumption of live baseball in Arizona is also the most relevant to this program about baseball prospects. Chicago White Sox invited media that weekend, media including Eric Longenhagen, to attend a hitting camp at their complex in Glendale. There, Longenhagen saw not only very powerful first-round draft pick Jake Berger and very powerful Cuban Yohan Mancata, he saw other very powerful Cuban Luis Robert, whose name is possibly pronounced Luis Robert, maybe Luis Robert, or maybe something else, but probably Luis Robert, it turns out. Luis Robert was very impressive during this hitting camp, and Eric Longenhagen gushes at some length about what he saw there. Uh, also featured here is uh, some comments by Eric Longenhagen about Angels prospect Taylor Ward. Ward is interesting insofar as he was selected in the first round, but was viewed as an overreach at that, or was viewed as perhaps a pick that was convenient to select in the first round so that he could be given an underslot bonus. Ward is still not necessarily regarded by scouts as a first-round talent. However, his numbers in the minor leagues, numbers which reveal excellent contact skills and competent catcher defense, suggest that he could be a reasonably successful major leaguer. I asked Longenhagen to think about other prospects who have perhaps not been regarded as first-rounders, have been selected in the first round anyway, and had developed into players who are the sort that might reasonably have been selected in the first round. Joe Panic is one of them. Just to reveal immediately Joe Panic is one such player also discussed here. The Pirates' respective returns for Garrett Cole and Andrew McCutcheon. Of course, one of the players going to Pittsburgh uh, from Houston in exchange for Cole was Colin Moran, another sort of player who's quite possibly on the verge of living up to his draft pedigree, even if some thought uh, that he oughtn't have gone where he did. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. That's a great conversation we're going to have with Eric Longenegan that I've already had with Eric Longenegan uh, and that uh, listeners are free to enjoy uh, let's see. Not everything's free in the world. Allow me to announce that for a reasonable sum, readers of Fangraphs.com uh, can support the great work that appears in those electronic pages. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, uh, those same readers, if they so choose, can acquire an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership available at Fangraphs.com. Available at Fangraphs.com. Also available at Fangraphs.com soon, very soon, I believe, is the Hardball Times Annual. So please also look out for that, the Hardball Times Annual. You just go to Fangraphs.com and it will probably be available for you. So that's another means uh, by which to transfer some of the money from you to our own coffers. Very good. Uh, let's stop this, however. Let's get on to our conversation. What is it? Is Fangraphs Audio? Who does it feature? Lead prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen. And when does it begin? Right now. Yeah? Working on things. Angels list. 
etc etc <clears throat> angels list huh uh can, yep can i ask a i don't know a slightly annoying question i don't like the part of me that's asking this question and yet here it goes is uh do you think sherman johnson's going to appear on that list <laughs> no i'm sorry well i guess I'll, that will allow me to uh, cover him uh, regard him as Sestouli's guy it'll give me yeah. that opportunity eric well, I wouldn't want to rob you of that. So, and that's the only reason he's not on the main section of the list. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't had, uh, he has not, uh, appeared on it for a couple years, I think. Except for my own contributions. Uh, and yet I still, uh, have, uh, some hope for him. So there you are. Well, I'm glad, do you find that that type of optimism, uh, pervades the rest of your worldview? No, 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 no. <laughs> so what is it about Sherman that does it for you? Just how often he walks? Well, so I actually have to say that I think that my fascination with him uh, began at a period before I fully understand how minor league numbers, and I should say maybe skills, were translating to the majors. Because um, guys who run high walk rates in the minors uh, – do not necessarily, or I should say, their their walk rates do not necessarily translate uh, predictably to the major leagues. Uh, I think that usually there has to be some sort of um, extra skill, like there has to be some power present there for that to happen, um, which he does not necessarily possess. And I think that, but uh, it can also point to certain things. I don't know. You know, it's interesting because the Angels also last year, the Angels had... Um, in their minor leagues last year, they had both Dustin Ackley, uh, who recorded uh, rather high walk rates in the minor leagues, um, and of course had played for another team. They also had uh, a shortstop who had previously played in uh, the Houston system, Nolan Fontana. Mm. Yeah, and who also played uh, played college ball at a prominent place. I forget which. Florida. He played at Florida. Um, fun, uh, fun, what do you say, Fontana, Fontana, Fontana? Fontana. Sure, Fontana's like walk rates. Yeah, his walk rates in the minors were very high. Hmm. I don't know if you knew that, uh, or if you care at all. Um, and uh, my guess is that no one Fontana will not be on your uh, uh, among your top prospects for the Angels either. That's correct. Yeah. You, you know who in the system is also becoming uh, interesting on paper. Taylor Ward. Yeah. Well, uh, no, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, because I just went through um, and had to write the uh, write up the Zips projections. Well, uh, I don't mean have to. I mean, it was given the privilege of uh, writing the content for the Zips projections. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Taylor, Nor- Taylor Ward's name, uh, I think he received the best projection of any player not included, um, you know, like – of any rookie eligible player in the system, yeah. Uh, tell, Very interesting. Tell me why. Tell me about Taylor Ward briefly, though. <clears throat> Ward was a catcher at Fresno State, who the Angels drafted in the first round of the 2016 draft. And was he a team, sorry, was 2015 he, draft? Was he a teammate of Aaron Judges? Maybe briefly. Okay. I suppose they were. Yeah. Uh, Judge was 2013 draft. Judge, okay, all right. So maybe, yeah, they're spread out by a few years. So, but they were, 
I mean, they were there at the same time. Okay. Uh, because Ward was 2015, so Ward would have been a freshman when Judge was drafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, he was. A, I think he took a little bit of an underslot deal, and then like Jamai Jones and a few of the guys that uh, Anaheim drafted later got overslot deals. But generally, as like a, a first round talent, Ward was not. Like it was a confusing pick, right? Uh, and. As Ward has entered Pro Ball, and he was in Fall League each of the last two years, he uh, reached Double A in 2017. Uh, we've seen him a bunch uh, here in Arizona, and like there's a pretty large sample of pro uh, performance here. It's like scouts just do not like Ward. Um, there's still some defensive ability. He still projects as a catcher, but... Uh, I think, like, the most optimistic-sounding reports I got on Ward when he was in college were chance to be a plus defensive catcher with an above-average arm, and there's, like, something going on offensively that's workable, but it's not good right now. But just universally in pro ball scouts just do not like him, uh, even though he posted... Pretty remarkable strikeout and walk rates in 2017. The scouts are still just not on him. Uh, the quality of his contact is not good. He he swings in a way that he just sort of peppers uh, shallow right field and the second baseman with uh, like weak little contact. Mm-hmm. But he is difficult to strike out, and he is patient and has a good idea of the strike zone. And as you have noted on uh, many occasions, the um, with the the offensive. Uh, requirements for a catcher are quite low. So if sure. someone could, for example, create some sort of margin for error with a uh, high rate of contact, then he would already he would have won a battle, if not the entire war. So if you're doing what he's doing from a strikeout and walk perspective, and you're a viable defensive catching prospect, like that's pretty interesting. But uh, scout reviews of his offensive potential are universally negative. No one thinks this guy is going to hit. So uh, it's interesting that someone drafted in the first round, as like as they get deep into the upper levels of pro ball, sort of becomes something that looks uh, like what you'd expect, like a fr- like a first rounder. But he's not though. Like from a tools perspective, he's not. But it's just strange that a first round draftee be like becomes an analytical darling late in his minor league career. Like, that's just it's sort of weird. I want to ask you, um, it's an interesting point you bring up. So, Taylor Ward, um, uh, Taylor Ward was, was a, as you said, he was a confusing first-round pick, perhaps signed, uh, perhaps selected so he could sign for an underslot deal, allowing the team maybe to mm-hmm. pursue some other types of players in later drafts um, and sign them to larger bonuses. And yet... Uh, regardless of what the report suggests, there are indications, however, that uh, Taylor Ward might be um, might be might have some success in the major leagues. And in fact, I could say that uh, Zips has him projected for about a win um, were he to play, you know, uh, basically a full complement of games as a as a major leaguer this year. And that's not bad, right? Because seeing as he only spent right. I mean, he only has like uh, 150 plate appearances or so above high A. So that's a, that's a pretty, um, I'd say that's a pretty encouraging 
outcome. So would I. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, he's also already twenty-four. Uh, so I don't know. I'm not on Ward. He'll be uh, a forty on the Angels list just because uh, he still profiles as like a backup catcher, and maybe because of what's going on statistically, you know, there's there's something a little bit more interesting happening here. Uh, but I'm still not. I don't. You know. Let me ask I'm not you. Optimistic about him being an everyday catcher. Now let me ask you this question: Is <clears throat> Who who are players, if you can remember? And I have an, a name in my head, and I will share this name. Uh, but allow me to first pose the question: Who are players who have been selected in the first round that you can uh, that you can uh, remember have not generally been well regarded, and yet have become have essentially grown into, or the industry has come to regard them as, or their major league performance has forced people to regard them as. Um, legitimate first rounders after the fact. Allow me to present the name on uh, on my mind, which is Joe Panic. Joe Panic was selected. He was a shortstop at St. John's, I think. Is that right? Does that sound yep. right? Could be. Could be right. That's correct. Uh, yeah, and I think he was. His. I think that uh, everyone thought he could hit, but they didn't necessarily think he possessed much in the way of power, and they thought that that would probably be necessary because he probably was not going to. Uh, play shortstop at the major league level. He has not right. played shortstop at the major league level. He played, I think, through most of the minors, maybe except the exception of the highest minors. Um, but he's actually become really good. I mean, not exciting, not in an exciting way, uh, but he's been worth at least he's been wor- worth at least two wins in each of the last three seasons. Despite, and then and then he was worth a win and a half in his rookie season. Um, mm-hmm. In what is roughly like three seasons worth of plate appearances, he's been worth almost ten wins. So the, he's a three-win player. That's like that's he's above average in, uh, I mean, on paper at least, almost almost an all-star, uh, which is I don't think what anyone expected of Joe Panic, the prospect. But it's not something. It's not a surprising result from a first-round pick. Do you see what I've presented to you here? The situation, Eric. Yes. Do you feel prepared to provide an answer? No. I'm working on that right now. I'm thinking about that. All right. Well, you can you can put it away. I mean, the recent guys who I who were like first rounders or mid to early first rounders who I personally have not been on are guys like Josh Naylor. Okay. Wait. Wait. So, so when you say a prospect's name, I have to say this. You know, I have more than a passing interest in in minor leaguers, Um, but. But I don't not necessarily know. You want me to? You want me to explain? Yeah, at the you very least, to. a team name and a position. Okay, so Josh Naylor, who's now with uh, the Padres, was drafted by Miami in the first round of the 2015 draft. He was a big, power hitting Canadian first baseman who uh, who I thought was just physically maxed out. He's he was traded to uh, San Diego as part of. Was the it trade like probably that messy? I don't remember what it was, but um, for Lionel Messi, Diego, he was traded for Lionel Messi. Messi, yeah. Wasn't it the was it Cashner? I forget who went the other way, but anyway, he. I wouldn't necessarily say that he's established himself as like. I, I, I mean, he, I suppose he's still a good prospect, but like he's not. I'm struggling to find someone who I haven't liked. And has been good, or that the industry hasn't liked and has been good. Okay, I, I have one for you. Ready? Okay, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Luke Weaver. Luke Weaver. The Cardinals right-handed uh, pitcher who was their 20, the 27th overall pick in 2014 out of Florida State. Weaver sort of had the same profile as uh, a lot of like late first-round college arms where there's some velocity and command and a change-up, but there are other issues like a lack of a breaking ball or size or delivery or something else uh, or a combination of things that has uh, like scout types a little bit apprehensive about that player. Um, but Weaver's good. So there's a guy. <laughs> In conclusion, Weaver's good, yeah. Um, uh, so, but like Marco Gonzalez was that guy the year before and is not great. And um, who's the other, there's another Florida State pitcher that Atlanta drafted. Sean something. Who was Rule Five eligible a couple of years ago? Didn't work out. His name sounds didn't like work it. out. Yeah, same type of guy. Fastball, changeup, command, no breaking ball, lacks size. Uh, fastball lacks plane, or there's something about the lack of size that also sort of impacts the way the repertoire plays because it's flat or it's you know something else. Um, Weaver has made it work, probably because he was able to add an effective cutter. Uh, but some of the other guys who have similar profiles coming out of college haven't been able to do that. Well, I mean, there's a the college right is full of pitchability types, right? Who who have who have had success, and in some cases that success has um, come in the absence of um, a a, um, you know the sort of arm speed or repertoire that one would expect to. Yeah, the reasons that they went to college and weren't multi-million dollar high schoolers, those still exist. They've just found other ways to succeed for three years at a big school, which has made them into first round, you know, first round prospects. Right. Yeah. And as, yeah. And as you point out, and I mean, and this happens, uh, for field players as well. Uh, obviously teams are typically on, uh, when they select high schoolers, it's typically, uh, th- that, that choice is typically founded, more on the tools that that player possesses than any sort of performance because there's really nothing there's no, there's really no performance to judge typically right because high school competition is you know really uneven and yes. uh, players are players are pretty far from um, their you know their their physical maxes uh, so it's it's difficult to uh, assess that but um I suppose it does some, happen sometimes, right? That a that a guy goes to college and is a different sort of human um, by you know after three years than he was when he entered. And I'm not just saying because he's he's um, <clears throat> he's gone through a rigorous <laughs> he's gone through a rigorous core curriculum, and his and his life has been changed by reading the the great yep. works of the Western tradition. You know? Sean Gil Martin is the name that I was looking for earlier. You, you, would you provide a brief profile? You mentioned uh, something about Florida State, Braves. Yeah, he was actually oh, taking yeah. one spot ahead of Panic in the 2011 draft. Right. Uh, yeah, out of Florida State. 6-2 lefty out of Florida State, mm-hmm. who the Braves took 28th overall. It was just sort of a fastball change-up lefty without big stuff. Yeah. 
And yep. And there he is. Uh, <coughs> okay, I don't know. Yeah, brief. Uh, I have just a uh, question. I'm not sure it's going to advance our understanding of anything, is it? Um, but it is always interesting if some, if a player. I'm I suppose. Sure how we started talking about it. Well, because yeah, you you, begin, you mentioned Taylor Ward. Oh, that's right. Ward. How, how there are indications. We don't know for a fact. Um, there are indications that he could have some success at the major leagues, despite the fact, despite the fact that his that his selection was regarded as a bit of a mystery at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I suppose one thing that would do, and I suppose you could say this, or, or maybe I'll, ask, I'll phrase it as a question, would you say this about Joe Panic, that um, more credit has to go to the uh, the Giants evaluators than was originally given uh, for the for the Panic selection? Yes. Okay. Conclusively is what you say. Yeah. A lot of people didn't see it. They they saw it. They picked him. He was good. Luke Weaver, the Luke Weaver selection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, yep. Good pick. You're on. You're on board. Michael Waka. Like, yeah, these are. <laughs> it's hard to say that. No, these were. You got this above average big leaguer at the back of the first round, and it was okay. Like, that's just you know, it's a good pick. Yeah. All right. Hey, you. Still not on Taylor Ward. You yesterday. Was it yesterday or the day before? I believe you went to some sort of White Sox hitting <clears throat> camp. Yes. I frequently the, ask you. I ask you questions like, "What have you What have you been doing recently?" But I know mm-hmm. for a fact one thing you've been doing recently, which is attending a White Sox hitting camp. Right. There's baseball being played again here in Arizona. Uh, yeah. Martin Luther King weekend is typically when I start going out to see games again. So there were there were three high school tournaments in the Phoenix area over the weekend. And then the White Sox began a hitting camp on Monday and it was open uh, for the media on Tuesday and Wednesday. So, um, is that a normal thing was there. to have, to have like a, to have a hitting camp? Was that, I mean, is this, is this, cause you know, you've introduced me maybe to things that I sort of vaguely knew, but like going to, you know, like spring and fall instructs, um, that is like occasions in which baseball is being played, not in a not in the formal sense we expect from you know the, like a league or anything like that, but where it where it is being played is a hitting camp. Is that a thing that frequently occurs? Yeah, typically teams have something going on early. The timing of it is a little different. It's not always a quote unquote hitting camp, uh, but around this time of year, most teams down here have. A group of prospects, um, or a mix of forty-man uh, or non-roster invitees, some sort of uh, talent group that they've selected. It's small uh, compared to the, ent- the rest of the organization's size, from a player standpoint. And guys come down here, and sometimes it's just strength and conditioning program. Sometimes it's a camp like what the White Sox are doing. Uh, sometimes it's mental skills. I think uh, this year in Florida, some of the teams that whose fall instructional leagues were impacted by uh, the Hurricanes are having essentially instructs in January, uh, so which probably involves more games uh, being played than uh, than anything else. So yeah, stuff is typically going on starting around now in advance of the actual report dates, uh, but team to team, it's it's pretty different. This White Sox camp. Had about 30 uh, prospects. A bunch of them were on the big league roster. Uh, Moncada, uh, Nicky Delmonico, 
Yolmer Sanchez, Omar Narvaez, uh, and then a handful of them are very young. Uh, guys who were drafted last year, Jake Berger, their first rounder out of Mrs. Uh, Missouri oh, yeah, State. Big Jake Berger. Uh, Gavin Sheets, the first baseman from Wake Forest, was there. I love what you're doing uh, right there. Do you see what you did right there? Um, yes, yes. Give me a position. Give me a school name. Love it. I'm telling you more about the players. Yeah, I love it. Great for context. Definitely not talking down to anyone as I do it. Um, <laughs> you're not talking down to me. I mean, the, uh, or you are talking down to me, and I and I'm and I love it. Good. Yeah, big old <laughs> big Jake Berger. We we actually uh, spoke about Jake, Jake Berger briefly yesterday. I guess I had realized fully the his uh, how corpulent Bergerness. Yeah, I mean, it's a very it's the name is not inappropriate, and uh, and it's not it's not a veggie burger either. It should be stated it's a loaded burger. He's a big man, and uh, yeah. Um, I guess what you've told me, uh, I, well, I don't know, uh, how much of it has been in confidence or not. So I won't, I won't speak at length about it. I'll allow you to No, I mean, I've written about, you know, uh, my doubts about Berger's ability to, to stay at third base. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a big guy. He is not, uh, he is not overly athletic in any way. I've seen him stumble, like literally stumble during infield drills. Uh, most of what he does involves a lot of visible effort. Uh, and, but conversely, people I spoke with who were covering the draft for their team last year liked him at third base just fine. Not universally, but there were people who think he's fine there. Uh, the study that I did on shortstops and who, the bodies that stay there, um, while it was rudimentary and there was some selection bias, uh, because everyone we, we sort of went over stayed there. Um, but basically, it, that study showed that age 21, age 22 is, that's about when the cement on your body is dry. And I think, uh, into your late 20s and, and 30s, there's, um, there's more there as your body ages. But certainly as you enter your physical prime, uh, 21, 22, that's about when, uh, that starts. And so that's where Berger is age-wise. So it's not like we should project his prime to include another, uh, 15 or 20 pounds or anything like that. Like, this is what he is right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's probably what he's gonna be for the next five years or so. And if you think that that plays third base, then Jake Berger plays third base for you. I don't. Um. How would uh, you, in terms of a body comp, uh, because I, um, I'm interested in this. I saw Brett Wallace play third base uh, Ooh, yeah. in the minor leagues for the Cardinals. And I think, I mean, which means, so I saw him in Portland, Oregon, when the Portland Beavers st- still existed. Um, so he made it to, he made it third base. He played third base that long, and yet uh, he never, I don't, I mean, perhaps he appeared there in the majors at some point, but he was never going to be a major league third baseman. And part of it was certainly uh, his own size. His own and the the way that the weight was attached to his body, mm-hmm. um, it was not in an it was not in ideal proportions. Um, I mean, wh- Berger is Berger. I mean, he he looks even less fit for the position than me. For, for, no, no, than me. <laughs> I, I don't look very fit for it either. Um, yeah, it's my a tough, body might make more sense. It's a tough evaluation to make because. 
Uh, he's a talented prospect, and I do like him as a prospect. But you know, at some point, you do have to say like, this is probably not good. Um, it's not. I part of what I I love about baseball is that it allows people of all sorts of body types to to succeed. Yeah. Um, and so we've seen we've seen big guys succeed at third base for a while in recent years. Uh, but eventually, you know, Carlos Santana moves off of third base. Eventually, uh, Pablo Sandoval is just not capable of playing there a- a- anymore. And that's probably what we're, we're looking at. And I don't think, you know, the body and the athleticism are related, but they are independent of one another for, for the most part. So you can have big athletic guys. I'd say that Pablo Sandoval, uh, is an above average athlete who's just, his size limits him a little bit, but like he was a good athlete. Uh, Berger, I'm not sure as far as the athleticism goes. Um, so yeah, I'm not, uh, I think he's got a lot of power. Uh, he succeeded in what is rapidly be- becoming a big baseball school, uh, that plays a lot of big games. Like he was a successful college hitter teams that had his track man stuff were happy with what that told them. So there's, there's a lot to like there, but yeah, I, I have concerns about him staying at third base. Yeah. All right. Old Jakey Berger. Now we've discussed that because he was one of the, uh, attendees at this hitting camp, uh, Mm -hmm. which you mentioned was a sort of, um, an interesting mixture of um, major league guys and uh, and players who are more uh, who are newer to the organization. One of whom I believe was um, well, I'll spell his name. Well, I know his first name is Luis. His last name is spelt like Robert and is pronounced actually more similar to Robert than one might expect of a of a person who was born and raised in Cuba. Yeah, still since I told you. The other day, how we were told it's pronounced, I have heard other people tell me, no, it's pronounced like this. So we have conflicting information coming out of uh, the White Sox organization and from uh, Louis Roberts' uh, agent, who says that it's pronounced Robert, just like the Anglo first name. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but anyway, yes, I saw Luis Robert swing a baseball bat. The, the White Sox hitting camp schedule runs down like, uh, they eat breakfast, they're in a classroom for a couple hours, they go outside, do some tea work for 45 minutes in groups of four or five, uh, then stretch and throw for 15 minutes, then take BP, and then they're done. So, of that portion, the media was allowed access to the tea work, uh, and the batting practice. So this is what I saw uh, Robert do. Uh, uh, can you give us a brief thumb, thumbnail squ- sketch of Luis Roberts' ascension to professional baseball? Sure. He, uh, Cuban outfielder yep. who is t- uh, 20 years old. He turned 20 in August. Signed with the White Sox for $26 million back in May as one of the final international free agents who was capable – of signing for something closer to what he's actually worth on an open market before the new CBA rules went into effect. Um, more or less described as uh, like the last premium 
talent coming out of Cuba uh, that is likely to defect for a while. Uh, when I saw him summer of 2016 on the Cuban national team's tour through the Can-Am League... Uh, Which is he, a great sentence. <laughs> I, I, I reserve um, no little affection for all independent leagues. Can-Am League is not, not an exception. I would love to have been there the entire time. It was pretty interesting. But I saw him against the New Jersey Jackals. And uh, he was heavy and clearly talented in some ways, but um, didn't get to see him do a whole lot. He was patient. There was power on contact. Uh, but looked more like a left fielder to me. Some of the scouts who were also there, someone put a Junior Lake, a junior lake comp on him. Uh, someone else thought that he looked like he'd have to move to first base eventually. But, but um, Cuban players don't always train in a way that doesn't involve just playing baseball. There's not weight training or uh, anything other than baseball to maintain your body. And there were rumors about Robert ha- trying to defect prior to that, and he may have been caught and sort of downtrodden that he you know, was caught. Um, so there were a lot of reasons that he could have been out of shape, and we've seen that with other Cuban prospects as well. But now, I mean, he's a total stud. Um... Not sure there's anyone who has a more athletic-looking physique in the minor leagues right now than this guy. A uh, bunch of teams were on him before he signed. Obviously, as you know, it was sort of a last last-ditch effort to to coax someone, um, or the last-ditch effort to to spend that that money uh, before the new CBA goes into effect. He chose the White Sox in part because they've got a history of developing Cuban players. Um, Jose Contreras, Jose Abreu. Uh, so now Moncada is sort of taking Robert under his wing. The two of them are working in the cage together when I... Alexi Ramirez. For... Oh, yeah, there you go. There's another one. Good job. Yeah. El Duque pitched for uh, for the White Sox for a while, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So anyway, um, the the issue that I have, and it's sort of therefore the issue that... Uh, baseball, the baseball-loving public has, is like, what do you do with this guy? Like, how much do we really know about this guy? Where does he line up among the other top 100 prospects in baseball? Uh, and just because this was a 19-year-old, who's now 20, who played in the DSL all summer, doesn't mean we don't know anything about uh, Luis Robert. We know that he's a plus runner, we know he has a plus arm. He's got a good chance to stay in center field. And the power I saw this week, Carson, is unbelievable. unbelievable. Uh, he was not in the same – he was not in the same they, – they split the players up on the two different fields, so you could really only watch one batting practice at a time. So I did not see Eloy uh, Jimenez take batting practice. Eloy Jimenez – a uh, player uh, received, I think, in the trade with the Cubs for uh, yes, for Jose Quintana. He's a big plus plus raw power six five uh, outfielder, like among the the most raw power in the minor leagues. Uh, so I did not get a chance to compare those two, but um, Moncada I saw, uh, Berger Sheets, Luis Robert had the best batting practice of of anyone, and again, it is just batting practice, uh, but. 
all fields power, uh, 60 or 65 on the raw power, didn't hit any ridiculous tape measure shots, but just the regularity with which he was able to put the ball out to left and right center was, was pretty astounding. So, um, the missing piece of the profile now is how much, how much is this guy going to hit? And so all we have on that is what we have from amateur reports on his in-game hitting, which are mixed, uh, to positive. But even with some swing and miss, if you think that this guy can stay in center field, as long as you think he gets to most of this power in games, uh, even if he's swinging and missing a bunch, he's really good. So, um, on a tool level, I think we are talking like Acuna, Tatis. Like, it is just looking at the power and the speed and that sort of stuff. Like, this guy is up there. Uh, and I don't... It's strange that when we're lining up prospects, we punish some guys for having less in, that we have less information about, and we and others benefit from it in a way uh, because we haven't learned what they can't do yet. Oh yeah, that's interesting. So there's, I think in the public sphere, um, the way that this guy is discussed is sort of inconsistent because of that. Because I think some people are just. Uh, turned off by not knowing about the bat and others are ignoring that we don't know anything about the bat. I don't know necessarily have a, uh, a good answer for how to handle that specifically other than take what we do have, uh, which are really just, you know, somewhat outdated reports about his in-game performance as an amateur in Cuba, uh, or as, as a pro in Cuba or, but, uh, on national team rosters like in uh international play like we we know that stuff but that's it so how do you handle that um i'm pretty optimistic about about this player so he was obviously the guy everyone wanted to see and talk about there were a lot of interesting players there so i tried not to just focus on him but he is spectacular to what level will he be assigned do you think as you mentioned he was what he he played the dominican this summer right past summer Right. Yeah. Uh, he's 20. It probably doesn't make sense for them to hold him back in extended unless they're doing it for cultural assimilation reasons. I think from a skill standpoint that he probably belongs in low A, in Kannapolis. He's uh, going to go to Kannapolis? Mm-hmm. Just going to go ahead and play for the Kannapolis Intimidators. Yes. Uh, I'm sure that the then, that the um, the team's connection to famed and late uh, NASCAR driver Dale Earnhardt will be will be meaningful for Luis Robert. Yes, I'm I'm sure he knows who that is and knows <laughs> what number the car was and all of that stuff. But here's the thing: in a little uh, <laughs> in a stunning turn, he's actually more of a Dale Earnhardt Jr. guy. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't see it coming. The Intimidator. Mm-hmm. I like the Intimidator. You know who Jake Berger likes? Who? Dick Trickle. <laughs> you can. It's all over his social media. He says, my favorite NASCAR driver, without a doubt, is Dick Trickle. <laughs> Heard it here first. 
Eric Longenagin. <laughs> so he'll go there. He'll be a 20-year-old. Uh, if he really has the sort of skills that you're suggesting, I would I would assume that he, was go- he would ascend somewhat rapidly. Well, I think that depends on how much of the hit tool is in place right now. Mm-hmm. I think he's more physically... I think he'll just out tool low A pretty quickly. I would expect to see him in Winston-Salem. That's high A. That's their high A. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Is that the Winston-Salem? The Dash. <laughs> yeah. Not the Smokers. <laughs> Did they used to be the Smokers? Wouldn't you be the Winston-Salem Smokers hmm. and just have it be like a, the logo be like a, uh, a vessel in which you smoke meat instead of someone chain smoking? Maybe that would be all, your alternate logo. Did they, now, were they previously the Smokers? No. They they were something cigarette related, maybe. I don't know. Mm. You could be the farmhand, and it's sort of a play on uh, minor right. league baseball, but also on uh, slavery, which maybe is not great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose you could be a different type of farmhand, but yeah, the uh, <clears throat> they were at one point the Winston Salem Spirits, um, and I know this, okay. I know this for two reasons. Uh, one, because I'm, I'm looking at it on the Wikipedia page, but also because... Okay, so have I. I pulled it up. Because I have a hat. I actually have a Winston-Salem Spirits hat. It's one of the great hats. Uh, really? Yeah, would you please look it up as I do this? And uh, yeah. we'll just take a brief moment to... Um, Winston-Salem Spirits... Yeah, hat. Um, and you but can the, see there's the, like a sad... Oh, it is a very sad, dour-looking bird. Yeah, it's a little bit of a strange eagle, isn't it? It almost looks like a wood etching. The yeah, stylistically. He's got a really, really, uh, hooked beak. And there's a strange red circle behind the the behind the bird. Yeah, it's got a little bit it's like a post-apocalyptic sun. Yeah, it looks like the sun at the beginning of like uh or on the cover of the Apocalypse Now DVD. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um I know yeah, I used to that was one of my big that was Yeah, like it's appropriately yeah. Carson-ish. I feel like I've seen you in this hat. Hey, you might have. Oh yeah, look, I got look at. Actually, I was realizing one of the photos I was uh, looking at was actually a photo that I had used in a post for Fangraphs. dot com slash not not, which was a uh, <clears throat> which was not a website that we used to run here. Yeah, I've sent you a link of that. Sorry, um, <clears throat> too much Kylie. No, Too much Kylie interaction. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you scroll down, you can see that hat. I wore that on my head for a while. Yeah, that was a great hat. And I think probably Spirits, uh, I believe Spirit, a Spirit, Spirits. Isn't that some sort of reference to cigarette smoking? Does that make sense? Yeah, because people die from it. <laughs> <laughs> but the Dash, the Dash, have you read why that they're now called the Dash? I would assume it has something to do with the, the hyphen in between Winston and Salem, no? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, any name, I think it's uh, it's been proven by uh, by Stephen Hawking <laughs> using math that uh, team names that are not the plural uh, that are not in the plural form um, are objectively worse than other team names. Yes. Yeah. And uh, as much as I like soccer, uh, MLS uh, MLS has a lot, has contributed to many of these. United. Crew. Well, yeah, United at least has like some Manchester United has like some basis, but like LA Galaxy, LA Galaxy is crate is doesn't make any sense. Should why don't just Mm -mm. I guess what because it's full of stars, full of Mm. is that the is that the logic? 
Mm, yeah. Anyway, so let Philadelphia me Union. <laughs> yeah, it's not, that's not the word. Endless. Yeah. yeah. Who would have thought soccer was pretentious at all, or up its own ass in any way? Now, basketball has no has at least three of these, right? Magic, Thunder, Jazz. Yeah, and Heat as well. So there's four, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah, C is an expansion team, so I, and I think that they joined the league probably right around the same time that MLS came to existence. Oh, the New England Revolution. That's a terrible one. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's pretty miserable. Um, I just remember Kobe Jones being on the cover of everything when MLS was first a thing. Mm-hmm. And who was the other guy with the crazy hair? Alexi Laws. Was it Carlos Valderrama? Oh, yeah, he was also too. Alexi Laws. Yeah, ha- having a strange hair was a was a real marketing tool. Soccer requirement. Let's see. I'm going Warning. to ask you another question. Anyway, that's that's pretty excellent about um, um, going to that hitting camp. Here, oh, well, yeah. What is the uh, what do the White Sox get out of uh, media watching that um, that event? That's a good question. Um, you know, Rick Hahn was milling around, and people got a chance to talk to him. And uh, I think it's probably a chance for for them to show off what looks like an embarrassment of riches from a prospect standpoint, which looks good. Uh, it offers us the chance to see Luis Robert on U.S. soil for the first time. Uh, I was scouting amateur ball at Camelback Ranch where the White Sox have spring training on Monday and, like, was watching him swing from 300 yards away like a weirdo creep because uh, we weren't allowed back there just yet. <laughs> so there's a, even though there were really only four or five of us who showed up, yeah. Uh, for media day, like it was pretty intriguing. Uh, Luis Robert is presence? a people want to click on that that those articles about Luis Robert and how he's Cuban and so is Yohan Moncada. Amazing. Um, Do you think that your presence in the outfield um, and its sort of effect on the, the bystanders on the field? Do you think it was enhanced at all by the fact that you're wearing a sort of uh, low rent clown costume? <laughs> I, that's, I mean, I just—I only saw the police reports, but it did. Uh, I'm ashamed that those are already out. I was hoping that they would. I told the guys at the precinct that they could come <laughs> to games with me if they kept things quiet. <laughs> but I guess the fourth time it happens, they're just like, you know what? Enough yeah, of this. Get out of here! Yeah, get out of here. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Well, yeah. Let me ask you about the um, these various pirates returns. The 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 returns for oh, yeah. Pirates, players whom they have traded away. Um, I've read some. Uh, oh, and, and uh, by the by the way, uh, interesting segue, too, from our conversation before of uh, players who were selected at a place above uh, what the industry might have uh, thought was best. Because I think – and then who are perhaps developing into real players because – I think th- this is something that could be said of Colin Moran. Sure. Let's start with Colin Moran then. Colin Moran was one of no fewer than four players sent from the Houston Astros to the Pittsburgh Pirates in return for right-hander Garrett Cole. Colin Moran, a brief thumbnail sketch, please, Eric Longenhagen. Moran was part of the mark the, the draft that Mark Appel and Chris Bryant went 1-2. 
uh, and Houston picked first in that draft, and Moran was was in consideration for that first overall pick. Um, for, by Houston at the time. By Houston, right. yes. And eventually he fell to sixth, where he was drafted by Miami. Now, pre-draft reports on... Obviously, like if a guy was being talked about at 1-1, even though Houston uh, has a history of doing some financial maneuvering at the very top of the draft to try to maximize the talent they get in a class overall. Um, so, But the fact that he was being considered 1-1, while probably not... Uh, while he probably would not have been in a vacuum just that based on talent, like he still was highly regarded among some of the teams in baseball, but he was somewhat polarizing. I was not a huge fan of his when he was at the University of North Carolina. Uh... Fringe defensive third baseman, more uh, hit than power, which is fine, but wasn't necessarily going to grow into any more than like 40 game power in my estimation. So like really as a corner only prospect, uh, what kind of, that's not like the type of guy I'm looking to take in the top 10. So he struggled with Miami and eventually was traded to Houston as part of the Jared Cozart, Jake Marisnik, like there were a lot of moving pieces in that deal. Um, I think Francis Martes was sent from Miami to Houston in that same trade. Uh, so uh, they got their guy eventually, but his stock had sort of tanked a little bit at that point. And then last year, 2017, he made a swing adjustment, closed his stance off, uh, quieted some of the pre-swing movement in his hands as he set up, and as a result, anecdotally anyway, uh, although a lot of people feel this way, and so do I after just watching tape to sort of know that it happened, uh, he's just on time more often. He's just not late making contact anymore. It was always something that he got away with because he did have this feel and swing path that like allowed him to take the ball the other way. So if he was late, that he would just do that. Uh, but if you're going to hit for any sort of power... Typically, unless you are one of these monster all-fields home run types, uh, you're going to have to pull the ball a little bit more. So yeah. it seems like he's able to do that now. Defensively, still uh, above average arm, uh, average hands, still below average range. Uh, but he's okay over there. And I think that, yeah, there's a chance that the natural feel for contact uh, is still there. There's more game power now because this adjustment seems to have helped unlock some of it, pull pull the ball a little bit more, uh, and just make on time timely contact. So uh, stock is definitely up for Moran. Kylie and I, as we exchanged notes and opinions uh, to sort of come to a consensus, we both think he's got a good chance to be an average everyday player now. As soon as when. Next year. Uh, he was hurt in 2017. I think he took a ball off the face. Yeah, that'll... And that was it for his uh, 2017. But he was in the big leagues, and just, you know, his time there was cut short by this injury, and obviously Houston is loaded at the corners at the big league level, and outfield and infield spots. So, um, so yeah, I think that he, he's got a chance to have... Especially if Josh Harrison gets moved then why wouldn't Moran have everyday playing time in Pittsburgh next year? Right, and it seems as though... Um, 
Now, you're projecting what Morrison or Harrison in that scenario as the third baseman, I guess, right? I suppose uh, David Freeze. I mean, David Freeze is also around, um, but they could work in some manner of platoon, maybe. Um, I guess so. I I don't, I don't know what kind of deal Freeze is on. Uh, okay, now I'm looking it up. Okay, yeah. so he Freeze is signed through the 2018 season. Uh, yeah, but I wonder I what they would do with that. Lot, no, I think it's pretty modest. No, it's okay. it's two. It was two years, eleven million. So mm-hmm. I I know Moran has seen time in other positions. Freeze played a bunch of first base in 2016, but was their everyday third baseman last year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that there might be. There might still be an issue there. I wonder who'd be interested in Freeze, but I, with his deal coming off the books at the end of the year, I don't know why Pittsburgh would trade him if that's an issue for them. No, right. But as I, I mean, as Kylie pointed out uh, in a pretty great piece uh, responding to the deal, um, and as I think he probably sort of um, not prophesied, <laughs> foreshadowed this sort of this sort of thing though, is that uh, teams in Pittsburgh's place, uh, in Pittsburgh's um, situation. They're sort of compelled by circumstance, um, by you know, by a lack of resources. Well, by by their ownership's lack of willingness to give them those resources. To invest, I invest think the resource, right? yeah. so. Yeah, like I think this is part of, and I agree that this is the reality of what these small market quote unquote teams are forced to deal with, mm-hmm. uh, and if they're to be competitive with. The Dodgers, Yankees, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, who have as much analytical knowledge as Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay and Milwaukee do, and just have the financial clout to uh, take better advantage of it. Like teams like Pittsburgh have to operate in the way that Kylie brings up in the article. But what I would like to mention is like that premise that Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, in order to function as a franchise need to pay their labor beneath market value is like their owner just like any other major league team if their ownership (laughs) wanted to they could so uh you know don't look at i just don't like the the notion that uh underpaid players is a good thing and i know that i dropped uh you're upset i get it it's fine yeah no, it's throwing it's, things. Um, um, right, you get. Wait, tell me what you get because I'm interested in, in what you get. You're about to sort of uh, look at it. Maybe a strange. Oh, thing. I I understand uh, the des- the desire to look at things that way, but I think the way discussion about it is t- is toned mm-hmm. publicly is not healthy and perpetu- perpetuates. Uh, sort of an anti-labor type of tone. Um, when we should, the question we should be asking is why can't the pirates actually pay people? Yeah. Well, like we've just accepted that part of it as reality that the owners are going to keep their money and do this. And like, that's the part of it that I have an issue with. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I agree. With you. Well, here's why, here's what I would state. I would state that, uh, let's see if we give, uh, people the benefit of the doubt. It is not necessarily that they are pro-owner. Um, I I don't think there's a... And here I am mostly just... Uh, well, this is from an observation of how people behave and also of my own uh, biases. And, right. Um, and I'm not uh, saying that they are. No, no, I just right. think that we accept that premise so readily that, it, that we lose that part of the discussion, which is 
the most important part of it from a cultural right. but standpoint. People, people, be, people become uh, – people interact with the game most immediately, right, because they, they have an allegiance to a particular team. And one's allegiance, for the most part, I mean, for, I would I would guess for most people, their allegiance is going to be to a team, and it's going to be, you could like a player, certainly, as he passes through your team, uh, but, he, you know, the, that guy's not likely to be there, I mean, what, 10 years at the very most? Um, and especially for a team like the Pirates, like, there are very few occasions which, where a guy will stay, will remain with the team, like someone you know, who becomes like a fan favorite, that he'll remain with the team for the duration of his career, as is the case with Andrew McCutcheon, for example, who would be a free agent next year. Uh, it's unlikely that, um, you know, he was going to spend his whole career with the Pirates because he's going to be too expensive. I know Giancarlo Stanton almost stayed with the Marlins the whole time, but he had the contract to do that, but you understand. Uh, so I don't think, I think that that just comes from merely saying, I want my team to be better than the other teams. And, and I, I I recognize that the owner has allocated this much money, and I said maybe he can't spend more uh, than this much money for the acquisition of players, right? Um, so I think that that's how it happens because you want because people want their teams to win. But I think that right upon further examination, um, right. So, but it, and I totally agree with everything you just said but then if people want their teams to win they should they should bug the owner to open the checkbook not applaud player x for taking a pay cut yeah well i don't know are players taking a pay cut well just you know as a thing that happens in sports right you know the veteran takes a pay cut to stay on you know to stay competitive nfl team Oh, I see what you're saying. Right, right, yeah. <clears throat> I think um, it's just another trope that we, in the you know, I feel like publicly when that sort of stuff happens, we're like, hey, all right, what a great teammate. Team player, he values winning over over money, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Um, no, no, yeah, I, I understand that. Uh, yeah, right. It's so a the complicated pirate situation. Pay. The pirate should, but yes, Colin Moran, I think, is good. <laughs> The pirate, right? The pirates should be, but it, I don't think you're actually necessarily singling out the pirates. I think you. You're, oh you're, no! You're, I think it's a cultural point. problem. Right. Your broader point is that players uh, ought to be compensated, and uh, that this sort of um, maybe th- maybe the interest we might possess in a team's ability to pay players less than what they're worth uh, might be a bit perverse. Is your point? Is that is that right? Yes, and I think that the a lot of the uh, stuff in this vein mm. that our readers and listeners have read and uh, heard me talk about mm-hmm. is a part of a failure on the players' union part as well. I think it, you could make a very strong case that the players' union has done its uh, constituents a uh, an injustice. In the last X number of years, I guess. I don't know. I don't know precisely when it started. Nathaniel Groh, uh, who uh, not only writes about legal matters uh, for, for, for com, but is also a, a law professor, I believe, in some, um, uh, in some capacity at the University of Georgia, uh, he wrote a very compelling piece to the effect that he, he, he used, like he said, it's roughly the result of 15 years of, um, of uh, this. 
Hey, Eric, if you give me one moment, I have to take a call. Uh, in the meantime, over, I will play the Fangraphs Hold music. Yes, of course. Fangraphs Hold music. All right, my call. The call is now over, Eric, and we can resume. We can resume this discussion. About what? Oh yes, that's right. You were uh, you were sharing some of your socialist ideas, <laughs> 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 which is fine because, uh, in general, um, I agree with them. You know, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> but um, I just think you go a little bit overboard. With your with your Facebook your socialist Facebook rants, yeah, um, I think that's been too too much, I and mean, I think the violence associated with it is uh, maybe uncalled for. Uh, well, I was hoping that the clown costume would obscure my face. <laughs> that's true, but that's no. true. You were actually uh, that's why you take such an interest in Cuban ballplayers because you regard them as your comrades. I think is partially why it is. Um, yep. Um, although that it's not very consistent, I guess, with the narrative because one has to acknowledge the fact that they are leaving Cuba. Um, I apologize so that the airspace over my house is not uh, off limits. Uh, let me ask you about one other player from uh, because it, I don't think it makes sense to, to perform an exhaustive uh, inspection of the uh, Pirates' return um, for uh, for their for Andrew McCutcheon and Garrett oh. Cole. I guess the the face Sorry. of the franchise from Andrew McCutcheon and the face face of the franchise 1A, maybe, 1A and 1B. Um, yeah, I certainly think McCutcheon is, and I thought Cole was going to be. Right. So, uh... McCutcheon probably the best Pirates player since when? Since what, Jay Bell? Prime Jay Bell? Bonds? Yeah. That's Brian Giles? Was Giles better than McCutcheon at his peak? Maybe one. I mean, yeah, maybe a few seasons. Uh, Brian Giles offensively was, although he might have had some help. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe a Jason <laughs> Bay season or two. Uh, yeah, that's right, Bay. Yeah. Um, who? I don't know if you saw this. Officially changed the spelling of his last name to B A E. Good one, Kylie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's actually he's been writing the, all my script for me. For this particular, I want to ask you about Brian Reynolds. Uh, okay, you and I have actually addressed Brian Reynolds previously because he was an outfielder at Vanderbilt, uh, yep. which is one of the which is one of the, the few ways in which I am able to interact uh, with amateur players is by watching those who play in the SEC. Mm. It's coming. Are you excited? Yes, I am. In fact, I, I said this to Cameron the other day. He said, "Are you excited about baseball at all?" It's a question he frequently asked me during uh, his tenure, Fangraphs.com, and the answer is. Uh, the answer is absolutely about fringe prospects, and and the first month of college baseball, mm. uh, because here you are, you, there's there's actual real life baseball televised, and I understand you get to go to um, clandestine hitting camps, um, but, <laughs> but the rest of us uh, do not um, plebes have access to such a thing. Yeah, so it's uh, just I'm just that hardcore of a junkie, I guess. Yeah, you're you're, you're passionate about baseball, is what I understand. Yeah. Pathological you, need. You, you, um, you and I have definitely 
spoken about Brian Reynolds before. Yeah. And I think that maybe <clears throat> one of one of my concerns about Brian Reynolds um, is was his uh, lack of contact, even maybe as an as an amateur at Vanderbilt. Does that sound like it describes him? Yes, totally agree. Interesting physical tools across the board. Everything right around average, slightly above uh, running power, chance to play center field. But there has always been some swing and miss. Right, and again, I mean, this actually maybe dovetails nicely with the conversation about Luis Robert. Robert, Luis Robert, is now you what you said with regard to Robert uh, almost certainly has the tools to play center. So even if the hit tool, even if the hit tool. Um, does not necessarily amount to much. That combined with power on contact um, ought to um, that ought to uh, should conspire to create a a good major league baseball player, right? Yeah, I think uh, that it's important to be specific about why the swing and miss, miss issues exist. With uh, Robert, it might be about like a lack of back control, which Reynolds does not have. Reynolds' issues stem from uh, poor breaking ball recognition. In my opinion. Yeah, okay, yeah. No, that's a great way. So what are the reasons What are the reasons uh, for, for swing and miss? I mean, you mentioned two of them right now, right? One of them, uh, poor breaking ball recognition. Um, and then the, another could be poor back control. Yeah, you could have, you could have a poor are approach. Are those the two main ones? Uh, I'd say lack of back control is... Hmm. There, there are ones that are you see most frequently, and ones that are most worrisome because they might not be fixable. Uh, but like, if there's a swing effort issue, like someone's taking ridiculous high effort swings, like that, those guys tend to swing and miss. If they're uh, have a poor approach and are swing happy, don't you know? Don't look at a lot of pitches, and therefore just swing at stuff that no one has any business swinging at. You like physically cannot hit. That's an issue. Uh, you have guys with the, where the swing plane is such that they're subject to strikeouts. Um, why am I, like? Why, what's tr- the reason for my swing and miss? If I, I go up to a plate, why am I swinging and missing? Uh, I'd have to watch you swing a bat, Carson. Yeah, but just guess. Like I'm just like a normal guy who played baseball. Who was not particularly great even at high school in baseball. You probably have you know, mediocre hand-eye coordination. I think that's probably, and that seems to be a sort of systemic one that's never. Sure. That's another thing that, like, you can't really fix that. So there are a lot of different reasons for it. Reynolds is, uh, he swings at breaking balls down beneath the strike zone a lot. Uh, he has back control. He's got the swing plane to do real damage when he's making contact. Um, but there's, there's an issue with his ability to recognize breaking balls, and not everyone thinks he stays in center field. I'm optimistic about it, uh, but that's pretty, you know, that's a gray area that if it falls on one side, he's fine, and if it falls on the other side, he's not, because corner-only guys with swing and miss issues and only modest power, that's not really, like, I'm not all that into that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a tough situation, but I, I do like Reynolds, and um, when the trade came down, I checked with people who saw him, and... You know, there's still uh, a large section of scouts who think, yeah, this guy's an everyday player. You liked Reynolds uh, last, well, I guess last year around this time or something. Yeah. Um, you ranked him third in the Giants system, and you put a 50 on him in terms of future value, which is 
what at peak an average player. Yep. And um, I think that when Kylie wrote up the deal as part of that larger Pirates piece, he, in conference with you, I believe, um, gave Reynolds a 45. Yes. And yeah, that, just that, you, uh, that the swing and miss issues haven't improved, that he succeeded at a uh, at high A in the Cal League as a uh, – Big school college hitter was not really uh, did not really move the needle for us as a like performance proof of skill. Um, so yeah, I mean, I still think that we're generally positive on Reynolds. Just that uh, our concerns were legitimate and they have not been solved. There hasn't been any sign that an adjustment has been made here. So. Um, Whereas I had Reynolds projected as a uh, a low variance everyday player, uh, you know, after the, his first full pro season, we think that there's there's a little bit more variance uh, that his that his profile is sort of subject to because of the contact issues. Mm-hmm. I have one time. Uh, do you know that what what I did one time? I one time uh, spoke with a former. Vanderbilt center fielder for uh, for this very program. Episode 356 of Fangraphs Audio was with outfielder and recent Vanderbilt alumnus Connor Harrell. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> Connor uh, Amazing. Harrell. Yeah. I've never uh, seen Connor, listen. Connor Harrell. You never seen him what in person? You never no, seen him I don't baseball? think so. Twenty thirteen draft. He retired. I regret to inform you. Yeah, I don't think his chances. They're not great. He hit pretty no, well actually, in his last. Pro- he, he he repeated double A in twenty sixteen. Two seventy three, three forty, four hundred two. Ten homers. He might not have. Wait, hi, are you sure he retired? It says it on his MILB.com page. Uh, okay. Well, April 25th, 2017. Sometimes players retire and they move on to uh, yeah, the Independent League or whatever. Yeah, maybe he's doing that. Yeah, I don't know. He'd probably work at Vanderbilt again. That's what I would do. Yeah, that sounds like a great job, doesn't it? Just hanging out at Vanderbilt, helping kids be good at baseball. That sounds pretty good. Maybe go I'll just go live in Nashville and scout them there. Yeah, just go to Na- Yeah, you could hang out in Nashville. Sounds great. Sounds pretty good. Maybe I should. Sounds pretty good, that. buddy. <laughs> hey, you have. Uh, I think you've probably fulfilled your obligation to the program. Okay. This I week hope so. we, we call fortnightly. It hasn't been recently because all these uh, holidays around. And, uh, it's okay. We've had Fangraphs has had a one hell of a month. Oh boy. Oh boy. What's Cole Stewart doing these days? Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Twins prospect. You don't want to talk about that? Not good. Things are not good. He was Rule 5 eligible. Passed over. <clears throat> I was I asked you on because, Cole Stewart. Because uh, we, we had spoken briefly about the trade. About the... Um, about the trade. No, the trade. and the, Well, the draft in which... Radioactive uh, man. Colin Moran was selected. That was, he was selected sixth overall by the Marlins in 2013. Same draft that... Uh, Appel was selected by the Astros first overall. Mm. Bryant second overall. John Gray third overall. He's turned out pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty good. And then Cole Stewart was next. Mm. 
and uh, he was selected out of uh, high school in Houston. And uh, so, man, pitchers, it's very difficult being a pitcher. What's Phil Bickford? Well, wait, let me. Oh. Trey Ball. I think Trey Ball is not has not worked out particularly well, right? Yeah, Gammons, uh, Peter Gammons, who just for background, I know you like this sort of stuff, is a yeah. famous baseball writer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, Gammons tweeted out, uh, which I I didn't know that like Boston was on. So who were they on? It was someone that was drafted, and then Moran, who was picked right in front of them, and then they took Trey Ball. Last I saw Ball, he was ninety ninety two, average cutter, curveball, changeup, you know, a depth a depth arm. Yeah, but more than you'd hope at seven, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, you certainly want to hope for more at seven. What are, what is Phil Bickford doing? He 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 actually didn't sign that particular draft, right? Right, yeah. B- Bickford popped up late. Not e- not everyone even got in to see him, like decision makers early in the draft. Uh, but yeah, Toronto drafted him. Didn't sign him. He, pretty sure he tested positive for pot ahead of the draft as a high schooler. There were also some medical concerns, mm-hmm. and so he didn't sign. He went to Fullerton, pitched as a freshman at Fullerton, then was. On the Cape, the following summer, and was great. So he reclassified as a junior college guy, went to the College of Southern Nevada, which is where I started to see him a bunch because they come down to Phoenix a lot. It's only like a four-hour drive for me to see him. Do they play so, at Grand Canyon? Uh, no, they they play at like um, uh, Yavapai, Central Arizona College, Gateway Community College. Scottsdale and Mesa Community College. Gateway to what? <laughs> <laughs> They're like the geckos or something like that, the gateway geckos, I think. Right. I actually might see some junior college ball next weekend if I decide to go. But uh But yeah, so um there were people who that's I covered that draft for ESPN. There were people who like were telling Keith and I that there were some nights Bickford looked like one one. And every time I saw him he was like ninety, ninety four, touch a six plus fastball command, above average slider, and never saw a change up. And he's like kind of a strange kid, but, you know, the Giants drafted him. He was good for a while, then he sort of sunk uh, last year. Was there a year. period where, like, no one could Trade find him or something? Was there a period where it was like, it was like this, this school, wasn't it Southern Nevada, you said? Yeah. And they were kind of being, like, secretive about him? No, I don't he was think always, so. He would just go over dressed in a clown? A clown outfit? I know, like, I had some issues um, dealing with their media relations guy as far as, like, how to... When, is, when he was when, starting when and stuff. Yeah, like I, like, I would find out before I could... That's when I was still working full-time for an insurance company and, like, have to, you know, hey, I gotta leave work today. Take a half day. I'm leaving early. Why? Uh, <laughs> and what, was drive, your, what was your excuse? I'm gonna drive four hours. I would just tell them. Yeah. I'd just be like, yeah, I gotta drive for hours to see this junior college picture. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> I only think I lied like twice about where I was. They knew what I was, you know. There were times when I would take a long lunch that no one knew about to like, you know, swoop into the Cubs complex for some spring training stuff or something. Something close to where my office was. You're, you're the bad boy of... Uh, no, I was just not a good in- insurance underwriter. Eric Longenhagen is the bad boy of prospect analysis. No, <laughs> don't start. That's what that. it says on your. That's what it says on your tattoo. 
<laughs> I'm terrified of needles and octopi and mm-hmm. um, I guess that's it. So no, you, not the you, bad boy. Just are you afraid a, of any other sorts of pie or just octopi? No, I like all the other kinds of pie mostly. I think. Mm-hmm. All it's right. been a real pleasure, Eric Long, and again, thank you for joining Fangraphs Audio. You're welcome. Bye, everyone. That has been uh, Lead Prospect at Fangraphs.com. Eric Longenhagen. I'm Carson Sestouli. I'm Eric Longenhagen. It's been <laughs> Fangraphs Audio. Bye. Sorry, I have to. Uh, can you pause for one second? Yes, of uh, course. My, uh, my wife had to go to the gym while I was recording the pause. My kid has been crying for like 40 minutes. Oh, we've been talking for longer than I thought. Holy. <laughs> Callie, hi. hi. I'm recording the podcast. Would you like to come home now, though? I just saw you drive by. Yeah, well, would you like to come now? Because we've stopped for a second, and also the kid has been crying for like 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'll see you in one second. We're, we'll just we'll just be chatting when you come in. Don't worry about disturbing us. All right. Love you. Bye. How are you guys doing? <sighs> yeah. I mean, fine, fine. Right, but it's hard. Yeah, it's just like. Oh wait, <clears throat> I'm gonna say something right now. You ready?